0: Nobody in my family is a Christian. I'm sorry about that. Have you tried talking to them? Yeah, I was going to tell my sister about Jesus one time, and she was downstairs using the computer. So I went down, and I was going to tell her about Jesus. But all that came out was, can I use the computer? I have a Bible verse about that. Would you like me to go get it? Yeah, that'd be a great help. Adrian, did you hear that Kevin just wrecked a brand new Honda? No. Oh man, he had it coming. I knew this was gonna happen. He so deserved it. He is a terrible driver. He is awful. I think it's a bunch of when he bought that car. All he did was talk about that car all the time. It was ridiculous. I'm glad. I hear you on that one, huh? Well, anyway, I have that Bible verse for you. Second Timothy four two. Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Okay. Hey, I already primed the pump, but you guys know the answer. Hopefully, uh, we're in the exciting study, the book of James. Man, audience participation today is... Yeah, th- hey, thank you, mommy. I appreciate that. I don't have to do the fake voice right now. But that's right, we are in... Hey, give it from Margaret. Margaret, yeah. Her job security package right here for you, in case you're wondering. I tried to uh, get into a family adventure, but it didn't work out too well. But we did get it on tape. Yeah, anyway, I digress. We are in, once again, verse two and three. I, I'm, we can do the sniff test again. I'm getting so close. I really think, Lord willing, next week, next week, Lord willing, we can actually get into verse four. Won't that be like a, a moment, a milestone? It's like, you'll write it down on your calendar. This was the day in my life when we made to, We'll get there, Lord willing. Uh, verse two and three, let's go ahead and read it uh, in the non-expanded Greek language. It says this, consider it what? Pure joy, not just joy, pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, key word there, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. That's a great thing. And it's got to finish its work so that you may be what? Torn down, shredded apart, oh no, this is no good for me. No, mature, complete, not lacking anything. The Greek says, be constantly rejoicing. Consider it a matter of unadulterated joy without any mixture of sorrow whenever you fall into the midst of variegated trials which surround you. Well, how do you make it through that? Because you know experientially, gnosco that the approving of your faith has been put to the test. It's been approved. That's the whole reason why you went through the test. And it produces a patience which bears up, does not lose heart or courage under trials. Now, again, as we saw, the purpose of the book of James was basically the whole theme is an acid test. The acid test is built upon the timing of the book. And the timing of the book is that the early church is who we're dealing with here. The early church, the first Christians, okay, were finally getting out of Jerusalem. God had to use persecution to get him to do what he said to do in the first place. You're not just my witnesses in Jerusalem, but where? Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the world. Problem was they were stuck in Jerusalem. So God, we know historically and later in the book of Acts that also that God caused a persecution to come Uh, And they finally got out there. Now, so this is, the timing of the book is the first book of the New Testament. Even though it's not in the order that we read the New Testament, this is the first book in chronological order. And the the importance of that is, this is when these first Christians were finally going out into the world. So why does uh, James have this acid test? Why did he build in this book, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, an acid test? Because the last thing, it's common sense that God would want when His church is finally going out into the world doing what they're supposed to do to be a witness to the world for Jesus Christ is for the world to get a false impression of Jesus Christ, let alone a false gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Why does that happen? Because as it was then, so it is today. Did you know that the American church is flooded with people who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior? Yeah, can you believe that? Bobby, what a revelation today. Uh, Yeah, okay, phony baloney believers, okay. And so the last thing that God would want was these people going out who aren't even Christians trying to share Christ. Same thing that's going on today, okay. And so he puts forth this acid test and the first test we've been on for quite some time, that's right, uh, is the issue of trials, okay. Now, the issue for the Christian, the true born-again Christian is the good news, believe it or not, you can be joyful, constantly rejoicing in the Greek, in your trials constantly, if you're a true born-again Christian. The Spirit of God really can give you that ability as we've been taking a look in great detail. Now, the acid test for the non-Christian... Okay is how do you handle your trials and if through your trials you're going to church services you're professing to know Jesus Christ but if some trial comes along and you walk away from God and you say that's it I become an atheist that's it I become you get involved in the occult or some other false religion like Mormonism what's the Bible say? You failed the test. First John 2 says the reason why they went out from us is because they never belonged to us. If they were true, if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But the fact that they left and became an atheist or became whatever shows that you were fake. You failed the test. God sent a trial to reveal what he already knows. Nobody fools him. You weren't true. Oh yeah, you went to church services. Oh yeah, you helped out in this ministry, but you had never bowed a knee before Jesus Christ. You failed the test. Okay, That's the purpose of the book. Now, once again, we're still on the theme, though, for the Christian, and that's the acid test, is that why can we be joyful and how, how in the world can we constantly be rejoicing? Because he says God does good things, not just in good times, but even in bad times. And he says in the context, the first thing is that he will give us the ability to persevere. And so the whole point is we can bear up under pressure over an extended period of time so that we can grow to be those strong, mighty Christians for Jesus. That's a good thing, right? But what we've been playing with is that's just the tip of the iceberg of the good things that God does in the midst of our pain and a couple of the key words we need to consider it says there literally in the Greek you need to think forward is what he's talking about there and the second thing is you need to know and it's not just a casual knowing it's an experiential knowing you know this beyond a shadow of a doubt that God I'm looking forward to the good thing that God has in store because I know experientially that no matter what I go through in life whether I want to label it good bad or ugly God says he works it all together for good and I can't wait for it to get here And then when you really, truly have that Christian go into your brain, not just in the hard times, but it becomes a way of life. Guess what's the side effect of that? Life doesn't get you down. And you can have that joy. It's just, we need to keep that mindset. And that's why I love just the one Greek word, consider, think forward. We have to constantly think forward. What is it? It's almost like expectation time. What is in that package for Christmas? Right? And you're tempted to do the, well, if I secretly take the tape right here while mom and dad's out and somehow put it back where they can't tell that it actually ripped out the package, okay? Then I can find out, you know, there's just that, there's that, I can't wait. That's what God says. You need to have that attitude. No matter what package of circumstances come your way, there really is something good in there. That is an amazing, wonderful truth in the scripture, okay? And when you do that and you live like that, you do have constant joy, Okay, as we saw before, James was not writing this, to be constantly rejoicing, pure joy, no mixture of sorrow whatsoever when you face trials. It wasn't because he got hit in the head by a drive-by chariot accident, and you just gotta give him some credit, he wasn't thinking straight. This is true, and this is good news. Why, have you ever thought about this? Why would we resist this as Christians? Why would we balk at this truth in the scripture? I mean, you would think we'd go, man, bring it on, this is awesome. Do you realize that we have divine permission from God, that we not only do not have to worry, he said that, do not worry about your life. You just get busy seeking my kingdom, my righteousness, I'll take care of you. Oh, and then, then he also says, oh, by the way, don't be anxious about anything. All you gotta do, if you got a concern, I love you, it's a relationship, communicate with me, pray, lay to my feet, in the meantime, enjoy my peace. And here he says, oh, by the way, you don't have to sit there and wring your hands throughout life. You, know, you don't have to worry. You don't have to be anxious. You really can have true joy. We haven't even got to heaven yet. Have you guys noticed that, by the way? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But even before we get there, what a life we have in Christ. Isn't that amazing? Now, if we live that, can you imagine meeting somebody like that? What a witness that would be. Remember, what's the purpose to go out in the world? man? Because you know what these early Christians were going to face as soon as they went out in the world? Do you think the persecution was going to stop just in Jerusalem? So you better get no wonder, if you think about it, he puts the first acid test as trials, so that on the flip side, for the true born-again Christian, you could be encouraged. When the trials continued now, you're out of the safety net. What a positive advertisement you can be for me if you would just do this. Okay, let's continue on. We've seen several reasons, not just perseverance, but to expose our sin nature, to keep us from becoming spiritually lazy, to cause us to be a blessing to other people, to teach us that God is God we are not, to make us more like Jesus, to keep us from wasting our lives, to make us more humble, joyful, loving, to produce a powerful testimony, character, to get us steered into a new direction, to get us to appreciate fellowship, to build our faith, to get us to return to him, to get us to witness for him, and last time, to teach us the power of praise. Okay? Uh, There's only two times we need to praise God. Have you guys figured that out yet? Yeah. Pretty close. When you're alone and when you're with somebody is the profound truth there, Mike, in case you're wondering okay, uh, it's the, all the time, okay, and God loves the sacrifice of praise, in fact, sometimes when you're tempted to not be joyful, and you start to create that black hole, and because all you can think about, now your mind's consumed with your circumstances, and this, and what happened, and they, and what they did, and I, and me, it uh, sucks you in, and God says, bang, you praise me anyway, you, you offer up to me a sacrifice of praise, get your mind back on the Father, not your circumstance, not your feelings, your attitude turns around, And you're able to maintain that joy. Sometimes God's trying to teach us that. But that's not all. The next one is this one. And that is to pure not just to get us to serve, but to purify our service. Okay, this is pretty cool. Because we all know serving in the church, serving Jesus Christ is purely optional. Yeah, no it's not. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's take a look at that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is our opening text here. If you find 2 Corinthians, what do you do? Left, that's right. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, take a look at the uh, beginning portion And Paul talks about. It actually continues in chapter 13 and 14. In fact, if you want to really get a good understanding of 13, especially 14, you need to start back in the context of 12. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and it's about uh, spiritual gifts. And he says this, he says, now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I want you to be totally ignorant. I want you to never even think about that. I want you to never figure out what in the world that I've gifted you with because you just need to sit there. I'm sorry, what is this, the Barney? This doesn't have the purple cover on it. It's like the Barney version. I don't know what's going on here. Uh, he says this, no, I don't want you to be ignorant. So let me clue you in on it, okay? He says, you know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. Good thing that never happens today. We're, okay, let's continue on. I'm going to meddling too early, Bobby. Uh, Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus, be cursed. I'm, excuse me? Holy Spirit, you're not, no, that's not going to happen. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. Okay? He says this, now, here's the deal. Here's what I don't want you to be ignorant of. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same what? Spirit. Same Spirit. There's different kinds of service, but the same what? Lord. There's different kinds of workings, but the same what? God. You notice that? Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus, the Trinity right here, God the Father. Okay, he, who works, who's the one that's given them? God. Okay, works in all of them. Now, to each one's given a manifestation of the Spirit for what? To sit there and collect dust. Or to say, here's my gift, but never use it. You know, you, you know put it under a bushel so nobody can see it. You want to preserve it. Make sure it doesn't get rust on it. no. Here's the whole purpose of why he listened. He didn't just save us. I love this. I, I say this all the time. Listen, we, we base our faith, and rightly so, on Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast, etc., blah, 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 right? Read verse 10. He says, and he saved us to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. And to do those good works, that means he's got an amazing, good, awesome plan for every single one of his Christians. He doesn't expect you to do it. He gives you supernatural gifts at the moment of salvation to do it. And when you want to do it, it's like, whoa, wow, this is good. I'm not only saved from hell, but now God has got me on some supernatural, awesome, eternally valuable mission to pull off for him before I get there. But see, that, that's not really going to happen until you figure out what's the manifestation. What did he give me? It's not just doing stuff, Christian. I think that's why sometimes Christians start out serving Jesus Christ, but they stop serving Jesus Christ because they, they don't really get specific with it. They might be serving, but that's, it, I mean, and that's good. It beats a sharp stick in the eye. Thank you for your help. Okay? Nobody seems to have the gift of nursery, though. Okay, but anyway, whatever. Not that that's not a real gift, whatever. The service, though, is. Hello, okay. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but if you're, you're not doing the thing that God has specifically, sovereignly saved you for supernaturally, then sometimes it just goes by the wayside because you're running in your own strength. You're not doing it by supernatural power. I believe that one of the gifts that God gave me was the gift of teaching. I love to teach. I think about teaching. My brain's on teaching. I can it's hard to even shut the thing off. I'm always researching. I love this thing. That wasn't there before I got saved. Okay? Do you think I ever wanted to speak in front of, are you kidding me? This is from God. This ain't me. This is, wow, look at that natural talent that he had growing up in the middle of nowhere in Kansas. He must have practiced on the buffalo. No, I never wanted to be in front of people. Are you kidding me? Right? But that's all I can think of, right? But if all of a sudden I was doing some other <clears throat> area of service in the church, but that really wasn't the gift. It, it doesn't make that bad. At least my intentions were good, but I'm just barking up the wrong tree, okay? It's not just serving. You need to get strategic And what did God call me to do? And this is what Paul says. I don't want you to be ignorant. They all come from God, but then he starts to break it down. Here's what he says. Now, to each one, a manifestation is given uh, by the Spirit um, uh, for the uh, common good, Okay? Uh, to the message uh, to to one, there's given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another, the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between Spirits. To another, speaking in different kind of languages. Uh, And to still another, the interpretation of those languages. And all these are the work of one and the same Spirit. It all comes from God. And He gives them to each one just as what? Who determines what gift you give? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray 15,000 years. I'm going to weep. I'm going to... Well, whatever. If that's not one, the gift that God wants you to have, you ain't getting it. He's the one that determines what you get. The point is, figure out which one He's given you. And then get busy doing it. Okay, that's the open-air context. We see, uh, the Bible to me is very clear, folks. God, here's the great news. He doesn't just save us to sit around on our blessed insurance because we got our fire insurance. And then, whoa, we make it to heaven. This to me is awesome news. I, do you guys remember how vain it was before you were saved? The vanity of vanities of life. Really, this is what life's all about. You go to school to get an education, to get a good job. A good job is one that's defined as earning a lot of money. And uh, when you earn a lot of money, that means you can now buy a bunch of things you don't need to impress people you don't know who in the end don't care. Maybe along the way, get married, have some kids and die. Ooh, life is awesome. Now, is there anything wrong with having a job? No, is there anything wrong with getting married God's way? Children? No, they're a blessing from God. Anything wrong with being responsible with all those? No, of course not. But can I tell you something? There's something greater to live for than just that. Okay? It's being, number one, make sure that you're born again, you're heading to heaven. Number two, God gives you something to do, Christian. Every single Christian, every single Christian, God has an absolutely fantastic plan that by His Spirit and the giftedness He's given you will stand, listen, for all eternity all the things that we accumulate here on earth, boom, burned up. Only that which you do for Jesus Christ will last forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And so if we are wise, then we get busy figuring out what we spend the majority of our time with, that which lasts forever, because everything else just goes away, right? This to me is a privilege, service. We should, uh, it, it, to me, it's a strange concept uh, that we would even have to, even preach on this that, that for Christians to serve. I remember when I first got saved, it was just, it was nine weeks after I got saved, and somebody came to me because this is all brand new. I thought, well, that's church stuff. That's what those church people get to do. I'm just glad to be here and learn. And then somebody approached me and asked, "Hey, would you like to help out with the youth?" <laughs> I felt like I was born again again, which you can't. But it was just it was such a spiritual. What? This just keeps getting better. You mean I get to do something to say thank you, Jesus, for saving me from hell? Because that's what serving is. You're grateful for what he's done. You shouldn't have to have your arms twisted, your teeth pulled, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> okay? But sometimes we come with that attitude. And that attitude is very detrimental, so guess what? That needs to be purified. Okay? Because the issue is this listen, we not only have the privilege to serve God, did you know that we have the privilege to earn something that's called a crown? Okay, the Bible actually talks about five different crowns in the scripture very quickly. The first one's the incorruptible crown or the victor's crown. The second one's the crown of life or the martyr's crown. The third one's the crown of glory, the shepherd or the elder's crown. The fourth one is the crown of righteousness. Listen, you can get a crown. You can earn a crown for Jesus. Listen, this one comes if you just long for Jesus. Now, come on. Every Christian should be able to at least get that one, right? I mean, all you got to do is be excited about his return, but what do we see in the church today? Nah, don't tell me that. Gloom and doom. Isn't that the phrase in the church today? Gloom and doom. Don't talk about this world's going to blow up. Don't mention the seven-year tribulation. Don't talk about God's wrath. Don't tell me about these signs the planet's about ready to usher into the Antichrist kingdom. Gloom and, excuse me, I want to get a crown. And if you love somebody, aren't you excited that they're just a, you haven't seen them for years? Maybe, or just a lot of military uh, folks. Uh, your spouse has been out on leave, you know, taking a tour. They've been gone for nine months. And they're coming home. And you start to see the signs. You got the telegram. You got the letter in the mail. You got the phone call. They're at the airport, and the closer they get, what's your attitude? Oh, no. Gosh, it was great while you were gone. Well, that's, not, that's why you need to join our marriage study, if that's where you know. <laughs> But in a good sense, what should your attitude be? Yahoo! Well, folks, guess, guess what? Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Master of the universe, the one who has saved us and rescued us from hell, He is getting ready to come back. Isn't that exciting? You get a crown just for that. Which to me is a natural response, if you love Him. And I'm convinced over years in ministry and as being a Christian, the reason why Christians don't want to hear that news is because they say that they love Him and they need to be taught 1 John 2, I believe, that says, do not love this world nor the things of this world because if you do, the love of the Father's not in you. You started out loving Jesus, but you lost your first love and you really love this planet, this garbage can compared to what He's bringing us. Okay, let's continue on. So there's also the crown of rejoicing, the soul winner's crown. If God uses you to lead others to Christ, you get a crown for that. Now here's the point. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter four because we need to see, all right, what do we get to do with these crowns? Revelation chapter four. Okay, because we all know that when we get to heaven, uh, me and Bobby are gonna, I mean, obviously it's gonna be a great time, right, bro? We're gonna be rejoicing. But all of a sudden, him, him, he and I were probably, unfortunately, at least at the rate it's going, uh, we're going to get into a big fight because Bobby's going to be standing around. Hey, my crown's bigger than your crown. Hey, my crown's bigger than yours. I got five. You got two. You're a lame and you were a pastor, right? And we're going at it, man. I can see it coming, Bobby, so just be careful. No, that's not the issue. And that's what some people say. Well, right, crowns. We need crowns. The Bible says, hey, we got the privilege of laying those at the feet of Jesus. Revelation uh, chapter 4, verse 9 says this. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him forever and ever. And they what? They lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you God, you're worthy our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Hey, we don't take credit for these crowns. Even the ability to earn a crown, to have the privilege to lay at the feet of Jesus Christ, that still came from him. So it's not just a privilege to serve him. Don't you want to be there one day and say, Jesus, I'm not just saying this with my mouth. Thank you so much for rescuing me from eternal damnation and hell. Thank you that while I was still a sinner, I was still ungodly and I was your enemy. You died for me and rescued me from hell. But but I'm not just saying I love you. Here's the proof. This short little wisp of a vapor of a time that I had here on earth. I got locked into what you saved me for empowered by your spirit. I didn't do it, you did it. But I took it serious and I spent the rest of my time serving you, earning these. (sighs) Praise be to you. Don't you want to be there and be able to do that? Did you know that's not make the Did you know that's our reality? Did you know that's our future? Do you want to get there empty-handed? I don't. Serving is not an option. It's a privilege. Not just Period. To do the great works that God's prepared in advance for us to do, but to lay crowns at His feet. But the problem is listen to this, here's what we do. We all say that serving is something that every single Christian should do. We even acknowledge that we have the ability to earn crowns to lay at His feet. But when it comes to serving the church, what do we do? We do act like it's optional. Or we procrastinate, or maybe later, okay? Or if we, here's my point with the purifying aspect. This is what I've learned, is when we do get around to serving, we serve with the wrong motive. Listen, here's what we do. The first time we don't get the kudos that we wanted, okay? The first time we don't get the form of acknowledgement we were hoping to get from everybody by investing all this time. The first time we don't get tons of thanksgiving, or here's one, somebody looks at us cross-eyed, or I was there, I was slaving, I was doing all this work, and they criticized me. What do we do? I quit, right? You're serving with the wrong motive, do you realize that? Because I really believe that what God wants us to do is to get us to a point where our motive is so purely, listen, we serve unto other people, right? We serve other people, but ultimately, what is the motive for that? It's out of love for him. So ultimately, really, what does that got to do with somebody else's behavior? If you're really doing it out of love for Him, God's not condoning rotten behavior. But how should that affect my service for Him? Why should that get me to stop serving Jesus Christ? That's the trick, isn't it? You get to the point where, listen, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you do. Hey, by the way, God will take care of you. He's not condoning. If you're doing something bad and trying to tear somebody down who's serving Jesus Christ out of love for Him, He'll take care of you. We'll get to that if we can get to the second point. Okay, but uh, listen, I don't care what you do. I don't, nothing is going to rob me of the blessing of laying crowns at my Lord's feet. Nobody, not even you. I refuse to stop serving Him. That only comes when you're really truly serving Him. See, because here's the deal. Maybe we are serving for those kudos. Maybe we are doing it because in the beginning, everybody really appreciated it appreciated it, and let us know. And that's really what our motive became. But then when that stops, or you get the contrary to that, do you keep plowing away? Who cares? I'm doing this for Jesus. Let, let's take a little test. I love this test. You see, if your motive is ultimately your service for Jesus, you got a choice. It's either going to end up being a job, or it's going to be a ministry. And I think if you ask yourself these questions, you'll find out what you're doing, and why you're doing what you're doing, And if it's a job, you're in a heap of trouble, okay? Uh, If you do it because no one else will, it's a job. Uh, If you're doing it to serve Jesus, it's a ministry. If you do it just enough to get by, it's a job. If you do it to the best of your ability, it's a ministry. If you quit because somebody criticized you, it was a job. If you keep on serving, it's a ministry. If you quit because nobody praised you, it was a job. If you do it because it needs to be done, it's a ministry. If your concern is just success, it's a job. If your concern is faithfulness to Jesus Christ, it's a ministry. Listen, it's hard to get excited about a job. But it's almost impossible not to get excited about a ministry. And he says this, he says, Average churches are made up of many people doing many jobs. But listen, great churches are made up of many people who are involved in ministry. Involved in ministry. People may say, well done when you do your job. Okay, But the Lord will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, when you complete your ministry. Isn't that what we all want to hear? Right? We'll sing songs about that. We'll pray about that. Yes, you know, I want to hear from Jesus. Well done, thou good and faithful pew sitter. What was the word? Oh, I know. <laughs> Sorry. Well done, thou good and faithful sideline complainers. You know, sit there and tell everybody else how you should do it better. Well done. No, you'll hear well done from Satan on that one. What's the word that he uses there? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Okay, so if God has to allow some hard times, if he's got to allow some difficulties, if he has to allow in the midst of our service those people who whine and complain and blah, blah, or somebody or even a whole church that's completely ungrateful for what you do. Yeah, thank you, God, because that's purifying my motive. That's really putting me to the test to see if I'm really doing it for you. So I can arrive at that point. I don't care what you say, I don't care what you do. Nobody is going to stop me from serving Jesus. And when you think forward to that and you consider that, it's like, whoa, maybe that's what you're doing, God, with this set of circumstances. Thank you, Jesus. You can keep that smile going, can't you? Real quickly, let's go on to just another one. Uh, is that, that sometimes, and we don't usually like to do this, but this is the facts. We've got to deal with this. Is, did you know sometimes your hard times is because God is disciplining you? I call it the spanky-wanky. God's going to spank you. Anybody ever been spanked by God? Yeah, Hebrews chapter 12. Let's go ahead and turn there. Hebrews chapter 12. Let's take a look. And uh, clearly talks about this. Hebrews chapter 12. All right, verses 4 through 10. And uh, he says, actually, this is a good thing. Okay, Hebrews chapter 12 says this. He says, in your struggle against sin. Now, that's a key word there, struggle. Notice you're not complacent with it. Notice you're not flirting with it. He says, in your struggle against it. Okay, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you've also forgotten the word of encouragement, key word there, that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's wife. Discipline and do not lose heart when he what? Rebukes you because God disciplines only the unsaved. Oh, I'm sorry, wrong translation. Those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. So endure what? Hardship, trials, as... Did you realize that sometimes... Now, maybe it's some of the other 18 whatever reasons we've already covered so far, and it could be. But did you know that maybe once in a while in a blue moon, it might be because God's trying to get you back on the straight and narrow. Because you've lost that heart and fervor to resist sin. And maybe you've got sucked in by it. Okay, and he sees it all. So he sends some hardship to kind of spank you to get you back on the straight and narrow. Now he tells us the the benefit of this. Endure hardship is a a discipline. He's testing you as a what? A son. And he says, "For come on. He says, this is common sense. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, except for today's society, uh, then you are illegitimate, tr- uh, it would appear, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and what? Live. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his what? Holiness. Okay, the, it starts off with resisting sin, ends on Holiness. God wants us to be ye holy because he is holy. Why? Because like father, like son, we're his children. He wants us to emulate him. Why? Because that not just pleases him, that's a powerful witness around them. Why did God call out the people of Israel? They were to be a light unto the Gentiles. Their behavior was to be holy so that it could expose the unholy behavior of the Gentiles and draw them to God. The problem was they got worldly. And so they went through their own trials. Throughout uh, uh, Joshua and was and rejecting God. And then eventually with the kings and the the, the splitting of the kingdoms. Then going into exile at different times with the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Because they got worldly. They lost their witness. And it's the same thing with us. God, listen to this. Our society has so convinced us, even in the church, that discipline is bad. Period. Okay. Uh, In fact, I remember, it's long gone to the days. Do you guys ever remember growing up where you would have friends over? And if you all did something wrong, you you weren't the only one by your parents that got a spanking. Even your parent gave your friends a spanking. Remember those days? (laughs) I remember a guy in Northern California. He says, man, this is one time I was growing up with my dad. And uh, he said, uh, I had a bunch of my friends over on the farm there. And he said, probably got about nine, nine young boys. You know, probably like 12 years old, about, you know, Rebecca and Billy's age. And he says, we just got... In big trouble. We were all goofing off playing. I forget what the, the thing was. Anyway, he said, his dad came out there, big, giant farmer guy. And he says, line up. And they all lined up out there in front of the yard. And they're all just like this. And he says, and he, I, he started with his son. And he said, he proceeded to not only spank me. He went right down the line. He spanked like, every last one of my friends, too. Don't you ever. And you like that. But you know what? That's because discipline is good. Right? You get out of line, sometimes you don't need a spanking, right? Society has convinced us that all discipline is bad, which is, first of all, ludicrous. If my son is out in the street, and I see a car coming, and I yell at him, get out of the street, he doesn't listen, so I uh, get him and pull him back in the street, and I say, what are you doing? And he's got this, yeah, I can do it. Am I being a horrible parent? No, it's because I, what? Love him. <laughs> in fact, would it be loving for me to say, well, I can't interfere with his upbringing. He needs to find his own path. (laughs) That would be the end of his path, right? But society is convinced, listen, not just society that discipline is bad, but even in the church. I've dealt this um, years of ministry. In fact, one of the things I think is most lacking in the church is discipline in the church. And we don't even do it God's way. We don't resort to discipline God's way. We resort to politics. Well, you know what, Uh, the Bible says, Matthew 18, that if I'm at odds with my brother or sister, then uh, I need to go to them, step one, okay? But if I don't uh, uh, reconcile, then I go bring a neutral person, truly neutral, don't just grab somebody that's on your side, but uh, to act as a mediator, and then we go and work towards discipline. Then, and only then, if it still doesn't work after that, then bring it to the church leadership, and it will be dealt with. Because God's all about reconciliation. He's all about us being in unity. But sometimes we do some stinky things to each other as Christians, Okay? And so God is about discipline to bring about the appropriate healthy response. Holiness, unity, etc. Right? It's a good thing. Not anymore. Right? And in fact, oftentimes if you do administer church, it's so backwards today. If you do administer discipline in the church, okay, then you're actually the bad guy. What? And you're just doing it right? And so sometimes God will allow circumstances to come along because discipline is not bad. What's the word that he used there? If he loves you, he's going to spank you. And sometimes he'll do it through circumstances, but in the Christian setting, sometimes he'll do it through his leadership or a fellow brother in Christ who comes and rebukes you in love. I mean, if you're doing something that's really going to harm your walk with Jesus Christ and you're just flat out in denial, or if your behavior is, is hurting other people around you, even in a church setting, wouldn't you think that at least one of your friends who loved you enough would st- come up to you in love and say, stop. Would they really be a friend if they sat there and said nothing? No. Discipline is not bad, okay? And so sometimes God does that. He gets us, we're going down a path. We're not resisting sin. We're heading somewhere unholy. And so God will give us a spanking. Real quick, I'm going to give you a couple uh, things that God uh, deals with that we kind of downplay uh, even today. Israel whined and complained about God's provision. Okay, this is Numbers chapter 11. I'm just going to have to read it for you uh, as opposed to turn. It says, and again, the Israelites started wailing. Now, the context is there. God already disciplined them because they were whining and complaining. So he sent a fire and destroyed a bunch of them. And then right after that, they started doing it again. It, this, they started w- w- wailing, saying, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, and the cucumbers, and the melons, and the leeks, and the onions, and the garlic. That's some serious breath. But now we have lost our appetite. We, we, we never see nothing but this manna stuff. And then so God says, tell the people, man, I love hearing that kind of attitude from my kids. I'm so pleased with you guys. I mean, because as parents, we all know when we bust our backs for our kids and we sacrifice for our kids and they just keep coming up to us and and they whine and complain about what to eat and you go to the store, you're just trying to get a couple things. They're on the ground going, I want to have this. We're going, oh, I love you. I'm so proud of you. I'm so glad I brought you out in public today. Yeah. Do you think God likes hearing that from his kids? No. Listen, he says, tell the people, the Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat, we were better off in Egypt. Think about that comment. We were better off when we were back in bondage and slavery. The very thing that God, out of mercy, intervened and saved them from. Wow. That'd almost be like a kid saying to his parent, I wish you weren't my parent. Wow. Now the Lord will give you meat, <laughs> and you're going to eat it. Okay? Except you're not just going to eat it for one day or two days. You're going to eat it for five, ten, or twenty days for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it. Why? Because you have rejected the Lord who was among you. You've wailed before him. Well, really... <laughs> Don't have time to turn there, but Philippians chapter 2, if you want to write it down, verse 14 through 15, Paul says this. This isn't just an Old Testament concept, okay? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not like whining and complaining about what he's doing or his provision for his children. Paul says do everything in that passage, everything, without arguing or complaining. Why? So that you might shine, he says there, as lights in a dark universe. What is one common thread that we have with our world? Not just we'll all suffer, but the way that the world reacts to suffering is they what? Constantly rejoice, like we says here? No. Whine and complain. Why is this? Or why is my boss that? Or how come I have to do this? Or, how? And Christian, we're never to do that. We're to be grateful for what God has done. Not whine and complain. So that what? We shine. We don't whine. We shine. Why? Because that's like if somebody in a dark room flipping on a flashlight. hey. Wait a second. You're going through hard times just like me. How can you shine? How can you, how can you have that smile on your face? Because I know Jesus. You can know him too. Can I have that? But if we do the same thing, it's an attack on God's character and we lose our witness. Do everything without arguing or complaining. Another one is this. Uh, and this was just the very next chapter. You would think after that, two spankings in a row. They'd their lesson. No. Uh, Numbers chapter 12. Miriam and Aaron complained about the leadership. Well, how come Moses just gets to do it? I mean, I ain't right. How can, oh, I can do it too. Wasn't it? And what happened to Miriam, if you recall? Boom. She got struck by God with leprosy. Don't want to complain. Okay. Korah. And this is uh, four chapters later. Korah and the others wanted to usurp the leadership that God put in place. Okay. Numbers chapter 16. What happened there? Well, hey, right, we can do better. Look at this guy. I don't like the where he's going. I don't like his direction. He don't know what he's doing. He can, I can do this. <laughs> what happened to them? <laughs> they all got sucked up. God took them out. Right? Whine and complain. Whine and complain. I can do better. <laughs> don't, see, because what we're doing is we're attacking God's character. We're acting like, hmm, he doesn't know what he's doing. Now, you take it out on other people, but who's the one who's in control? Who sets him up and takes him down? God, okay? So, he's the one who provides for you. He's the one who sets things up for you. And if he wants to take it down, take it down. But don't usurp that, okay? They paid a the price. Achan compromise with sin. The classic passage, Joshua chapter 7. Remember that? God says, hey, listen, if you just keep walking with me in holiness, you do what I say, you're going to have victory after victory after victory after victory after victory. Did you know the Bible says, Romans chapter 6, Christian, we are no longer slaves to sin. We, are, we don't have to sin. We have the Holy Spirit in us, and if we just walk, live, and keep in step with the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The problem is we compromise with sin just like Achan. And so we start losing the battle. Okay? And he thought he could just compromise a little bit and somehow hide it, and nobody, as if God doesn't see. I said it before, I'll say it again. He sees in the dark, you know. Oh, got the lights out. ha, ha, ha. No, he sees everything. You can't compromise. King Saul gave God half obedience. That's the classic passage. First uh, Samuel 15, right? God says, "When you get in there, I want everything wiped out, all of it." Okay. I don't want, it's all gone. None of that's going to be around. I don't want no negative influence. You're coming into there. I don't want any of their idolatrous practices. I don't want anything around that is going to lead you away from me. Okay, there was good in that. Okay, and then so he gets in there and he took care of the folks, but he brought back the animals. And then, of course, uh, he's confronted by Samuel the prophet. And he he said, what in the world did you do? Didn't you hear what God told you to do? Why, Why did you do this? Uh, and he began to rationalize his sin. God says, take care of everything. And he says, you know, the classic path. What, what, really? Oh, you really did what God said? Bleh, bleh. What's this bleeding I hear in my ears? Why did you bring back animals? It's all supposed to be gone. Why did you give God half obedience? I'll never forget when a preacher said this one time. Just He said, did you realize that half obedience is still disobedience? But see, that's the funny game we play, isn't it? Well, at least it's sort of right. Or at least it wasn't completely full blown. I only did a little bit of it. He lost his kingship over it. You're done, buddy. This is what I call, to a certain extent, giving God leftovers. Yeah, I'm mostly obedient. I'll get, when I get around to it. Yeah, I know I'm supposed to do all that, but yeah, that's good enough. Ooh, we better move on. David committed murder, right? What happened? What was, what was the discipline factor? He lost his child. There was consequences to that. Now, praise God for his mercy, right? And and, uh, and I'll never forget, another lady came up to me, and she says, Pastor, I'm having a really hard time. Uh, I'm reading through... Uh, uh, you know, the, the scriptures, you know, uh, the, the account of David's life and before he became a king, after he became a king, and, and then coming across with Bathsheba and his sin, and, and, and he literally murdered uh, Uriah the Hittite and, to get, and all that. says. And, and yet, the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. Well, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. And it was one of those moments I had to be in the Spirit of God. It's like, yeah, and praise God. Isn't that awesome? Because what that tells you and I is God uses us in spite of us. He's not condoning the sin. David got spanked for the sin. There was consequences to it. But listen, David did have a heart after God because David didn't deny it like Saul. David owned up to it. You got Psalm 51, the great prayer of repentance from God. Oh God, have mercy on me. Cleanse me with hyss of get rid of the sin. Oh, return to me the joy of your salvation. He knew where to go with it and God forgave him. And that's good news for you and I because we blow it too, don't we? And God says, listen, you just own up to it. You confess. He is faithful. He is just if we uh, confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Get back up, Christian, and keep moving forward. Just like King David. Might be some consequences, but you keep moving forward. God's merciful. He will forgive you. Okay? He is faithful. So that's that. Ananias and Sapphira. They lied to God. Ooh. Acts chapter 5. Christians took communion in an unworthy manner. Do you realize that? The classic passage, I, this is the passage I use when I serve communion uh, at, at, for church. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11. Okay? And it talks about in the following directives, listen to what Paul says there. He says, I have no praise for you. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul coming to your church, coming to this church, coming to sunrise. okay, And then the first thing he says out of his mouth, hey guys, good to see you. Glad I'm here, but uh, 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 let me just get started right off the bat. Uh, I have no praise for you. Ouch. (laughs) That's what he said to these guys. Okay, so the context here is he's addressing, once again, inappropriate uh, behavior. He says, for your meetings do more harm than good. Wow. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there's divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. He says, listen, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. You're supposed to be doing this in remembrance of what Jesus Christ has done. But that's not what you're doing. He said, listen to this. He says, for when you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. You're selfish, self-centered. One remains hungry. Another one gets drunk. Don't you got homes to eat and drink in? That's not what we're here for. Okay? Okay. And this is not a buffet line, okay? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. Listen, he said, and oh, by the way, yeah, it's unfortunate this church behavior we're having. Yes, it's unfortunate that we're doing this in an unworthy manner. Listen to the consequences. This is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. You have died because you treated Holy Communion in an unworthy manner. What? Absolutely mind-blowing. Now here's the, here's the point as we close. It's a good thing that we don't complain about God's leadership or the leadership's direction or we don't rebel or we compromise with sin or we want to complain about God's provision or we give God half-obedience or leftovers or we commit visual adultery with the eyes or murder people with our mouth or lie or are divisive or are flippant about the things of God like communion. woo Man, we're free and clear. Yeah, we can do that too today, can't we? And though I think there's a reactionary movement of the church to go into the other end of the spectrum, because I I remember hearing this when I first got saved. That's apparently, this is the way it was. I got saved in 93, okay? But, you know, coming out of the 70s and and, uh, early 80s, there was this uh, shepherd movement, is what I was told, whatever, and it was just like the pastors were all just these authoritarian guys and just do this, this, and submit, and you have to do it, and you couldn't even put on your pair of socks without having the pastor telling you what to do, and that's that that the church was dealing with that. Which is, if that really is was the case, yeah, that's you're overboard, okay, and that people were just afraid and whatever, and uh, and uh, people said, uh, you know, the, the hell and damnation, blah, 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 blah. and well, to me, in my opinion, the church has gone. Whoo! Way over to the other in the spectrum. And now God has become this cosmic grandfather in the sky who he just wants to give his kids fluffy candy. Would you like to go to Disneyland this week? What would you like to do? You wouldn't hurt a flea. Well, did you know that God is called not our grandfather, he's our father. Grandfathers kind of do that with their grandkids, right? Yes, we all know. Fathers have the responsibility of what? Raising them. And if your kids get out of line, you've got to spank them. God is not our grandfather. He is our father, okay? And we need to realize that sometimes when we get out of line, sometimes when we do the same thing we read the scriptures and whine and complain and rebel and compromise, because God loves us and because we are his children, Just like an earthly relationship, so it is in our Heavenly Father's relationship, a spiritual relationship. Listen, He loves us enough to not let us go too far. And if it takes some hardship, a spanking to get you back on track, which is for our good. It gets us out of the streets of life and the oncoming traffic. Praise God for that. Aren't you glad that God doesn't leave us to ourselves? He's more concerned about our character than he is about our comfort. And if our character starts to go into a ditch, he loves us enough to get us back on track. Amen? Sometimes that's what he's doing, and when you realize that, smile. But that's right. Lord willing, be here next week. Or be severely square, because I think it's verse four time. Yeah. Well, hi. This is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today,